You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. First of all, good morning, Providence. How are you? I have to say, I kind of, uh, I grew up going to Graffenburg Baptist Church, so a lot of what I know about Providence has to do with playing softball at Bridgeport, and we had to play you guys quite a bit, I think. Uh, but it's good to be here with you. As we've already kind of established, I am Doug Hamlin. I'm the AMS for the Franklin Baptist Association, and I believe last time I was here, I explained that I am born and raised. Frankfort, Kentucky, other than about three years when my dad took a private job in Lexington. We lived there, but born and raised Frankfort, Kentucky, graduated from Western Hills. I was the first group to not go to Franklin County, so that kind of tells you how old I am, but graduated from Western Hills and graduated from the University of Kentucky, and boy, we didn't do very good in the NCAA tournament, did we? But Graduated there and eventually got my master's degree from the Southern Seminary in Louisville. I've been in ministry for over 25 years now and actually half ago just returned from Western Kentucky, spent 17 years there uh, pastoring in uh, Henderson, Kentucky. And now I'm back to Frankfurt as your AMS. Now, you'll notice I'm wearing a hat. Don't worry. I'm old school. I don't wear hats in church. But I just returned, actually this past week, from a North American Mission Board replanting and revitalizing training. There was 250 people there, two of us. And they gave us these hats. Uh, And you see, do do you realize, I think we have a slide here, do you realize that about 80% of churches are plateaued or declining. This was from several years back, but that's uh, Lifeway research, but you'll see the declining is about 30%, plateau 44, now it's about 80%, they say. And so this training was to see how we can kind of revitalize and replant uh, churches, and they gave us these international harvester hats uh, to kind of say that's what we're about. Okay, replanting. Um, most of these churches had a time of, you know, where things seemed to be going well. Numbers were very high. Uh, things were uh, vibrant in the church life. But something happened, you know. Maybe they lost pastor, whatever. And the numbers kind of dropped. Then they got another pastor. Numbers went up a little bit, but they didn't quite reach where they were Then something else may have occurred. Numbers started going down, and they kept going down, kept going down, and and then they slowly just start declining. That's where 80% of our churches are. We all remember COVID, right? Every church lost about 20% of their attendance due to COVID, and 15% of that is not coming back. Uh, and some things we used to do as a church, well, we're going to find out that uh, we, we're not going to really be doing those as church. Uh, we might need a change in the future, but what doesn't change is the mission. The mission stays the same, but the method may change. All right, well, I'm going to take my hat off now, if that's all right. Um, the good news is, well, I was going to say, it's kind of, that's a way to start a sermon in it with some bad news. 
Well, the good news is God is still alive. And God is on his throne. Nothing is a surprise to God. God knows what he's doing. And he's got a plan. We may not know what that plan is, but he has one. In fact, we're going to see, well, let's just say this. God knows what God's people needs. Can I say that again? God knows what God's people need. And we're going to see that when we crack open the Bible here in just a moment. But before we do that, how about we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord, we confess this morning and acknowledge that your word does not just contain truth, but it is truth. And Lord, what a privilege it is to stand here in this pulpit and to be able to present your word to a wonderful congregation. And Lord, as I do that, I ask, as I attempt really to do that, I ask that you would push everything about me aside, that you would clear out all the clutter, and Lord, that you would be the one who speaks and not me, because it's you who lives in me. And so, Lord, I pray this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. Well, I understand you have been going through the book of Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, It's not a real long book. It seems long, but it's really not that long. But it seems that way because it's dense. It's packed. It's got a lot of stuff in it. And when we look at it, we see that it's a letter, actually. It's a written letter to a Christian church. And this church has been suffering persecution. We don't know exactly where they are, probably in Rome, uh, but many that were suffering were about to give up anything that resembled Christianity and kind of blend in with the crowd. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like the church today? Would you say the church today resembles Christ more than it does the world, or does it resemble the world more than it does Christ? I don't know. So these Christians, they started slipping back into their Jewish rituals, and many of them hadn't matured like they should have. And the church was kind of plateaued and dying, literally, if you will. And they were needing encouragement. They were needing instruction. They were needing just something to help them to continue in the grace of Jesus Christ. And the the writer reminds them that Guys, you've got something better than all of this. He reminds them, you have Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And he reminds them that Jesus is better than any mere religion. And he compares the inadequacies of the old covenant to the new covenant of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, you know, he brought about the new covenant and he died for that. By the way, do you know where we get the word testament? The English word for testament is derived from the Greek word of covenant. So when we speak of the New Testament, we're actually speaking about the new covenant. And Jesus is the mediator of that new covenant. And the writer says, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than any angel. He's greater than the prophets or priests, anybody that you know. In fact, he's greater than the temple. You don't say that to a Jew. 
Because the temple is where I go to offer my sacrifice. That's where I go to sacrifice an animal because of the sins that I have. That's where I go once a year to get atonement. So you don't say that, but he's greater than the temple. So he says, hold fast. And remember all those people in the faith? Remember those? Remember Noah? Remember what he did? Remember Abraham, how he left his home, how he, how he believed God that he would have a son. Do you remember Sarah and Moses? Remember the ones that, that prospered when things were going well, but also remember the ones who were suffering under persecution, even died. Remember them. Remember how they kept the faith until the very end, and they persevered. And then we get chapter 13. 13 is kind of a final briefing, if you will. It's kind of the, the locker room speech right before the NCAA game, right? It, it's it's the, the last conversation you have with your child right before they go off to college. It's kind of a final briefing. It's very brief, succinct, and he tells him in verse 7, as you spoke about, Remember the leaders of your past. Remember how they lived and how they kept the faith until the very, in fact, imitate them. Imitate them. And then, then he said, this is great. He says, Jesus is the mediator. In fact, he fulfilled that covenant with his blood on the cross. An eternal sacrifice we don't have to bring sacrifices anymore. Jesus did it once and for all. And then he says he suffered outside the gates, outside the city. So let us go to him outside. For we don't have a city here. Ours is out there. And he's using a language. The writer is that the readers of that time would understand because they had to go to the temple. That's not where Jesus is. That's not where our sacrifice is. It's outside the city. So in other words, the church is displaced throughout the world. It's, just not, it's not just in Jerusalem. So let us go there and keep praising Jesus, not just with our words, but our lives. In fact, he says our identity is in Jesus. Because why? He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He's outside. So let's follow his example. The church is not a place where we go to. The church is really us. Our lives are a living sacrifice. Worship it's not just something we do, it's a way of life for Christ's followers. So he says, don't give up hope. And then, then we get to our text for this morning. So if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and will be basically one verse, 17. You'll notice, though, in, verse, in chapter 13, 
he refers to leaders three different times. Verse 7, we've already talked about, remember and imitate those of your past. Verse 24, he says, greet them or receive them. Then in verse 17, uh, 17, he says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this, how? With joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. The first thing I see is that God in his wisdom has placed leaders in his church. We can't deny that. God knows what God's people need. And they need his word. But God wants his word taught with a human voice. So he calls leaders, he calls teachers to preach his word, to teach his word. And God says through this author of Hebrews, he says, obey and submit to them. All right, right now our our feathers are kind of ruffled, aren't they? Because we're Americans. From day one, we're bucking the system. Our defenses go up. Have you ever seen a toddler who knows they're not supposed to be doing something, but they're looking, I'm losing my microphone here, they're looking to see if mom and dad are watching while they do what they know they're not. Have Have you seen that? Yeah, they do that. If you had any toddler, you know. And then... Uh, they're, they're, they kind of test those. They don't, they're testing the boundaries and don't like to be told no. But teens, have you ever parented a teen? Teens are the same way. Teens like to see just how close to the line they can get without crossing over. They like to see just how close to sin I can get without actually not sinning. Um, you know, just take a curfew, for instance. Uh, you know, mom and dad may have a curfew, and they're out, and uh, somebody asks them, do you have to leave? Uh, I don't know. What time is it? It's 11.56. Oh, I've got four more minutes. Right? Uh, and then they go once again, and maybe they just said, you know, nothing really happened that time. So next time they're out, somebody says, what time is it? 11.56. I've got 15 more minutes. Right, And then they, they push that barrier and see, once they cross that line, they see just how far over that line I can get without really suffering consequences. It's what they do. Now, it's not just teens, adults. Have you ever heard of a speed limit? Yeah, a speed limit really is how fast you can legally drive. It doesn't mean, like if the speed limit is 55 miles per hour, doesn't mean you have to go 55 miles per hour. just means you can't go over 55 and drive legally. But if it's 55, we say, oh, I'm going to drive 55. If it's 70, we say, drive 70. Or do we? What do we do? What if I'm late to work and I really need to get someplace and... All right, I'll just go three miles over the speed limit. Nothing happened. So when I'm on vacation going to Florida, I set the cruise for 76. They won't stop me at 76. Well, you know what? 
I got stopped in Tennessee going 76 miles per hour. I didn't get a ticket, but he did stop me. He could have given me a ticket. You know why? I was breaking the law. But we don't like to submit or obey, do we? We don't like it. We buck that system. You know, don't cage me in. But the writer of Hebrews says, obey and submit to these leaders in position of authority. Why? Well, not because they're so wise and so smart. That's not why. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> That's not why. It's because these teachers are God-called, God-ordained, and God-commissioned to teach the Word of God. And it says, they keep watch over your souls. Imagine the weight of that. Your pastor's not just some guy you flip a coin and let's see. Eh, yeah, we'll take him. That's not how it happens. He's God commissioned, God called to teach and watch over your souls. Most churches, when they ha uh, are trying to look for a pastor, they, they form a uh, search committee. And they spend some time in prayer. You know, and they listen to the church. Okay, what's the type of person we need? What's the age? What this and this and that? And they listen to it and they spend time in prayer. And then they gather resumes. And through that time in prayer, they look at the resumes. They may um, have some interviews, personal interviews with them. And then they narrow down the number of people. And they feel that God is calling this one person then they present this person to the church. And then the church hears them preach normally, uh, and they may ask a few questions, that type of thing, but then the church votes on them, okay? And by doing so, the church is saying, we recognize this person as being God-called, God-commissioned, God-ordained to be the leader of this flock, if you will. <clears throat> So he's commissioned to watch over your souls. Now look at the middle part of verse 17. It says, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. An account to whom? To God. To God. James puts it this way in 3.1. He says, not many should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Those who teach are going to be judged more strictly. That is a frightening thing. And I'll just say it, nobody can do it short of God's grace. That is why God sets apart certain people, certain individuals, and commissions them into the office of preacher, teacher. And then the church recognizes those through the congregational vote. Now, I haven't always been a pastor. In fact, I was in banking for eight years or so. Um, I was the fourth house in Silver Lake, the little Silver Lake. Uh, that was the first house I had once we were married and worked at First Federal 
and eventually took a position at Commonwealth Credit Union, kind of a step up the ladder. By all means, people would say I was successful. Um, had some young kids, but it just seemed like something was missing. You know, is this all there is to life? I, I don't know. And through several weeks of just listening to sermons. By the way, I was also teaching Sunday school. And just listening to sermons and that type of thing, I started sensing maybe God was calling me into ministry. And I talked with some pastor friends. I spoke with my wife and said, hey, what would would you think? Well, she was okay with it. And I asked my mother. My mother said, I gave you to the Lord years ago. Who am I to stand in his way? It's like, wow. And so now... I'm a pastor to pastors in 31 different churches, and there is no better job. There really isn't. So you may be here sensing God calling you into some sort of ministry. You don't have to know what that is. Abraham didn't know where he was going. Uh, It may be missions. It may be some other. It may not be a preacher necessarily, but just some other sort of type of ministry. You don't have to have that figured out. But maybe God's calling you. And if so, you're going to have an opportunity in just a few minutes to respond to that. But God calls aside certain leaders into his service to teach and preach his people and to watch over the souls of the flock. And as we said, no man can do this on the road. So God says, obey and submit to these leaders. But let's step back for just a minute. What are we actually Submitting to. Well, not so much the teacher leader, although we are, but you're submitting to what is taught. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.8 says, even if an angel from heaven comes here and preaches some other gospel other than the one that we, that's Paul, you let him be anathema, be eternally uh, condemned. I was going to say another word, but he's con- eternally condemned. Those are strong words. So what we're really submitting to is what is preached. So if this leader, inasmuch as he preaches and teaches the gospel of Christ, you obey and submit to him. Inasmuch as this leader teaches the gospel of Christ, you submit and obey to him because, obey him because he has watch over your souls and he's going to give account to God. Now, you know, the older I get, the more I crave comfort. I love comfort. I love sleeping in my own bed. So I don't travel a whole lot, at least as, like I, I was in Atlanta in this training and I did not sleep well. I don't bend as easily as I used to. So I got a larger car so I could get in and out of it a little bit easier. I've put on weight and I'm kind of flat-footed. Now my feet hurt. I'm going to get some of those sketchers, right? The older I get, the more I like comfort. And I think we all, by the way, if, if it's a size XL or 2X, it should not have slim fit on it. I'm, so, I'm sorry. They, they, they should not be together. But sometimes, you know, we have to go through some discomfort in order to be healthy, if you will. As I said, I am getting older. It seems 
the more doctors I have to go to. <laughs> I go get an annual checkup, you know, uh, and I also see some specialists. And I go once a year, and they poke and prod me inside and out. And let me tell you, that's not comfortable. It's not. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and sometimes they put us in very vulnerable positions. That's not fun either, but it keeps me healthy. If there's something there, hopefully they find it and they're able to treat it and kind of bring me back to health. Well, your pastor has watch care over your soul, much like the doctor does over your health. Now, he, the doctor can't make you do things, not really. pastor can't make you do things, but he can... He can really suggest, and sometimes he leads in a direction that might be a little uncomfortable, but it's for the good of your spiritual health, both you personally and the church as a whole. <clears throat> and then God says in the rest of verse 17 through this author, let them do this, do what? That's watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. In other words, don't give him a hard time. Don't make life hard for him. I can remember a business meeting where they were arguing over whether to get a dumpster. And somebody stood up and said, let the pastor take his own trash to the dump. Come on. And it says the end result of all of this is that you may profit. See, it says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that. In other words, for giving them grief or for obeying begrudgingly or for not following their lead would be unprofitable to whom? To you. So the end result of all of this is for you, for the church, to profit. Now, I started talking about my hat and how 80% of churches are either plateaued or dying. I don't know where providence is. You can only answer that yourself, but you do have a good leader. And I know what can happen if churches really get behind a leader and really get on fire. Pastor Steve loves the Lord. He preaches the gospel. He's God-called, God-ordained, God-commissioned to lead this church and to watch over your souls. So I just say through Hebrews, let him do this with joy. Churches are notorious, aren't they, for arguing over silly things? color of the carpet, what wattage of light bulb to put in the lights to save money, should the pastor wear a tie or not. But you know, I've never heard one say, pastor, we're just, we're just baptizing way too many people. Right? I've never heard that. We don't seem to argue over reaching people for Christ. So I want you to just imagine with me for just a moment. What would happen if Providence Baptist Church 
really got behind and backed Pastor Steve and prayed for him daily and his family and cared for him and just obeyed and submitted to his leadership, what would happen to the souls of Providence Baptist Church? What would happen to the community around you? Imagine how many children might be saved. Imagine what would happen if the 31 churches in our association did the same thing. Frankfurt could be one for Jesus Christ. Our opioid problem would be gone. I'm telling you, the author of Hebrews ends this section by saying, pray for us. Pray for me, the author. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.